Good morning, Katie. You're awesome for so many reasons. It's awesome. All right, good morning. You ready to sing some praises to the Lord and listen to the word this morning and get taught? Amen. Yeah, all right. Bow at his feet, he has done great. 
morning, Gold River Calvary Chapel family. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning. And you online, you're our family and we miss you. Just a couple of announcements. We are going to praise the Lord with the announcements because he's doing so much in our little church. This week is Thanksgiving week, so I pray you have a blessed Thanksgiving. I almost said Christmas. <laughs> you, you'd think so if you went to the stores. It's Christmas time, but it's Thanksgiving time, and we're going to give Thanksgiving to the Lord, and I pray that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. But Common Ground and the Men's Bible Study and the Women's Bible Study will not be meeting this week, okay? Though um, the studies will return next week. Operation Christmas Child, today is the deadline for getting in your box. Let's say a hallelujah. This little church has already turned in 75 boxes or more. I know. And that doesn't count those that have um, done a box online or given online. This is amazing. Keep it up. Today is the last day to turn those in, and those children will be so blessed. So uh, Women's Bible Fellowship, we finished First Peter this last week. Uh, we're taking a little break until we move into our new building um, over the first of the year, but we still have opportunities to fellowship. We're going to have a Women's Bible Fellowship um, Christmas brunch on December 11th. It's called Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him, and that's what we're going to do in uh, music and worship and um, a little bit of the word as well, as well as good food. So sign up at the ministry desk or online. And uh, ladies, we also have been given an opportunity through the Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa Women's Ministry. They are letting us reprint their Christmas Advent devotional calendar, and that's going to be available for you out in the foyer in the next week or so. So be looking for that. That's another opportunity to be in the Word while we take our break. All right, so... Uh, read your bulletins, everybody, to get the full scoop. I'm just giving you the little bits. So make sure that you read that for more information. And again, praise God for all he's doing in our church. Amen. Let's continue our worship. All right. Good morning. How is everyone today? Good. Good. Shane, you okay? All right. Okay. Good deal. Um, the men will meet Tuesday morning, nine o'clock. So be here, guys. All right. So, and since Ann gave her announcement, we have five more boxes that came in. So thank the Lord for that also. So would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. We are going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 55, and we'll look at verses 6 through 11. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Great for all of us. I shall repeat that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall, the word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty. What comfort that is. God's word never returns empty. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things which I have sent it. Glory to God. Bless his holy word. Bow your hearts with me as we go before his throne. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love to us that you have given us, Lord, and how you take great care of us. Lord, you're taking care of us even now in areas that we don't even know about. It is because of your wonderful, never-ending love, because of Jesus, your beloved Son, our Savior. Lord, today we ask that you would just bless the offering. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Let us move forward in the things of God and let everything that we have be to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We love you, my God, and we thank you for being with us this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice in it. God bless you all. Father, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Thank you.
Speaking of amen. true in your life? Yes and amen. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence
See my 
Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, God, because you are 
altogether wonderful, altogether wonderful, Lord. And let us just put aside and dismiss, God, the world right now as we invite and we accept the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, God, to, uh, to be in fellowship with you, to learn, God, from your word, to just rejoice, God, in salvation, your mercy and your kindness, God, that the whole world groans for, Lord. It's not just us. They don't even know it. We just pray that, God, that uh, this morning, as we go into fellowship with you through teaching, God, that uh, our, our, our eyes and our hearts, God, would be open to you and just trust in you for your mercy and your kindness and your guidance, Lord. And we just ask these things. In Jesus' holy name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Go ahead and say good morning to one another this morning. guitar riff there. Kind of cool. <laughs> I hope the, that last song that we just sang, I hope it came from your heart. Here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. I mean, we go to many places, don't we, on a daily schedule or whatever. I go here to, you know, go shopping for whatever. I go over here to pick up the kids. I go here to go work. But here, here I am to worship. Why do you come here? To worship. Amen. Amen. Here I am to worship. Father, we thank you that we can come here this morning and worship you in song, in prayer, Lord, in fellowship, in brotherly and sisterly love for one another, that we can look to you with the eyes of our heart and worship you and love you have a heart of gratitude for all that you have done for us 
that your promises are yes and amen, that your faithfulness endures forever. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can rely upon you, that we can grow closer to you, that we can know you, Lord, that we can study your word as we're about to do, and that by studying your word, we can know you even better. And as we know you, we can draw closer to you. And when we draw closer to you, you draw close to us. We praise you and thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I pray that it goes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you speak through me by your spirit, by your word. And we pray this, all of this, all of this, Lord. As we worship you, we pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen, amen. This morning, as we open Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, we find, we're going to find Paul reflecting for a moment. He's in the reflecting mode on all, thinking about all that God has done, all that he's done in, that he has seen in his life, and by virtue of this word that he's given us, reflecting on all that God has done for us through Jesus. That faith, he's thinking about faith and worship, and he's thinking how faith in Jesus is so powerful in a life so powerful in a life that it actually transforms people. That the gospel, when it's heard, it transforms people. It destroys, as we saw in chapter 2, the historic hostilities. It actually, the, the scripture says it killed hostility between Jews and Gentiles. That it tears down the walls of hatred and bigotry that existed between Jews and Gentiles. That through the gospel, God has brought us near to himself. We were far off, as we talked about last time. But through the gospel, he has brought us near to himself. An amazing transformation, an amazing journey, an amazing spiritual journey that the gospel takes us on. That's how transformational the gospel is. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, Gentiles. Then he goes on and he says, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that even though the government and the authorities of this world see me as their prisoner, because he's a prisoner in Rome. He's in a jail. He says, they see me, the government sees me as their prisoner, but they're wrong. I'm not their prisoner. I'm not their prisoner at all. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. They can do whatever they want with me, but that will never change. Never. I'm a prisoner of Christ. The reason that Paul is in prison 
Because he worships Jesus. The reason he's in prison is because he loves Jesus so much. He wants to live for Jesus, and he's prepared to die for Jesus. He says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. Many right now in this world right now are in prison for Christ, hostages. They're all over the world this is happening right now. This is a very realistic now moment in this world. 2,000 years ago, same thing. He's in a prison. He's in a prison because of the gospel. A prison because he loves Jesus. You know, this is convicting to me. This is really convicting to me. I don't know how you process that, but I, asked, I had to ask myself this week, as I'm studying this incredible verse, I'm a prisoner for Christ. I'm in prison because of the gospel. And I, I had to ask myself, if I were brought to trial because of my faith in Jesus, would they have enough evidence against me? I hope they would. And he goes on to say, I'm a prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. What an amazing statement for a Jew at that time in history to make. I'm a prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. And he says in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery, verse 3, was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. He's saying, God's made me a steward, a steward of his grace for you. God's given me, by revelation, a message, a divine message, and I'm a steward of that, and I am going to give it to you. I want it to penetrate. God wants it to penetrate into your heart. He's saying, God has made me a steward. He's made me a messenger. He's made me a messenger of something that was never known before. God's spoken, and he's using a human being to deliver this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has revealed something, and, and he's illuminated the mind, the heart of Paul. It's a huge thing for Paul. And the Spirit has worked in the heart and the mind of Paul so that he would become a steward of this mystery, this grace of God. That's how scriptures happen, isn't it? That God reveals his truth to human beings, and what do they do? They write it down in your Bible. This happened to Paul. 
2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's not by Paul. Paul had no clue. He had to be had to be revealed to him, just like I was. I had no clue. You had no clue. It had to be revealed to you by the Word of God. That's so simple, isn't it? You open your Bible, and God speaks to you. It's so simple, but it's absolutely miraculous. It's God breathed. God reveals, and the message Paul is given is a, was a mystery was a mystery. Apart from God disclosing this, apart from God pulling back the curtain, as it were, we wouldn't know this mystery. We wouldn't know it. We wouldn't know this truth. We'd be stuck somewhere in a kind of spiritual darkness. We're all the recipients of this revelation that was given to Paul, each and every one of it. We wouldn't be here without it. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace to the great people of the world. No. It's all about God's grace to all the hopeless people of the world. All of the hopeless people of the world. And that included Jews as well even though they were God's chosen people and they like to walk around and strut around knowing I'm God's chosen person. But they were hopeless. They were hopeless without Christ. They just didn't know it. I've been there. How about you? The Jews were a covenant people. They rested in the fact that they were a covenant people that they were God's chosen ones. And they scorned the Gentiles. This was Paul. He scorned the Gentiles. The Gentiles that were pagans and that they knew nothing of God. They had nothing but pagan rituals and superstition. Have you ever known anybody that has this sort of steeped in superstition? You just kind of scratch your head. I grew up with it, a lot of it. <laughs> I... It's incredible. My grandfather, who died at 100 years old, couldn't speak English, but he was a farmer. And uh, if he's out in the field working, and my first recollection of him was when he was about 70 years old, and he was plowing the field with a mule. But So he was a pretty hardy gentleman. Um, but if he was out there working hard, sweating in the hot sun or whatever he was doing, if, if suddenly... Like he used to take naps, you know, in the, in the middle of the afternoon. So he'd, he'd be working hard, and then he'd come back, eat something, and take a nap. And if in that nap, <laughs> if he dreamed of like a penny or some kind of monetary thing, he'd get in his old truck, and he'd drive to Reno. <laughs> I loved him. And he'd be singing all these old Greek songs all the way there. He was sure that he was going to hit the jackpot. <laughs> Superstition. But these pagans, they were without the divine power of God. They were without the authority of God, the promises 
that are yes and amen that we just sang. They were without all of that to carry them through their lives. They didn't have those promises. They didn't have them. I rely on them. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble right now, Lord. Oh, but I remember your promise. You never leave me or forsake me. You're with me right now in the midst of my trial. They tried to live without God. And so that didn't work. So they made up gods. They made up all these idols. Idols, superstition, no knowledge of God. That's how, that's the condition these Gentiles were in. And Paul says in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He says that God has revealed a mystery to him. Mystery was never made known to the world until it was made known to Paul. But now Paul says to these Ephesians and to us, I've got good news. I've got really, really good news. God's grace is now available to you, Mr. and Mrs. Gentile. Mr. and Mrs. GRCC person sitting here worshiping Jesus. No one could see that coming. Couldn't see it coming. If you lived then, you couldn't see it coming. The Jews certainly didn't see it coming. That would be an abomination to what they believed. Satan himself could not see it coming. And Paul is made aware of this mystery through divine revelation. Divine revelation. He didn't read a bunch of books. He didn't go online to Amazon. Tell me about the mystery. He didn't Google it. <laughs> Google. Or what, what, is, what are these other ones? Uh, Siri. <laughs> There's an Alexa. No, none of that. It was divine revelation. It's a type of truth that's a mystery until God reveals it. He says in verse 5 that this awesome truth was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't tell us, though. This is interesting. I was thinking about this. Paul doesn't tell us exactly when this revelation happened. Scripture tells us that Paul hated the Gentiles, and he couldn't wait to kill as many Christians as he could. But then he had this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on, he was on a mission to kill Christians. And he has this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changes him completely. He realized he was persecuting God, and that completely shook him up. 
It completely changed him and transformed him from the inside out. And then, Scripture tells us that he spent three years quietly communing with God. Goes to Arabia for a little while. He comes back to Damascus. And so for three years, he's communing with God. So he has this experience. Understand this, okay? So when you're saved, you have an experience with God. However that happens, whether it's an instantaneous thing like Paul on the road to Damascus, or else it's maybe a journey of a day or years or month, whatever. But that's that's never the end of it. Then he's communing with God. Just this total spiritual time, this three years. And then Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 20 sheds light on that time. I'm going to read these verses to you. It's just amazing. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We're all saved that way, that Jesus, by the grace of God, is revealed to us and he gives us the gift of faith. This happened to Paul, and this has happened to each of you that are believers. He goes on, he says, I I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I kind of like that. He's just going to consult with God. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. That is an incredible beginning of a walk with the Lord. So what was the time, that time like for him? You think about that a minute. He must, he's going through this transformation, and he must have, you know, been praying and from his heart looking up to God and, and saying something, I don't know, like, you know, you know, Lord, I, I was a hater. I was a hater. I hated these Christians. I hated this church thing that they were trying to do and this Jesus I wanted to destroy it all. I couldn't stand those Gentile dogs either. All of that, Lord, you know that. But now, you're telling me I'm done with that. 
And now, you want me to love them? And you want me to preach this good news, this gospel of Jesus to them? You're asking a lot, Lord. You're asking a whole lot. I need your help. Lord, give me your spirit. Let your spirit work in me and strengthen me. This is how I think he went through. Maybe he did this for three years. Maybe it took that long for that whole transformation to get to a point where he could go out and do that. God was preparing him and working in him. He does that with you, doesn't he? I hope he does. If you're going through something like that, where you feel like God is working in you and changing you in a way you didn't really want to get changed. Read this, Galatians 1 chapter. Paul can relate to you. You can relate to Paul. But that's what he did. He went to these Ephesians, and he went, in the, and in, by virtue of the scriptures in front of us, he comes to us. And he says this incredible truth. He says that when you accept Jesus, you Gentiles, you former pagans, <laughs> that when you accept Jesus, you know what happens? You become an heir. You become an heir of the grace of God. You become an heir just like Jesus is an heir. He's saying that this was a mystery hidden for ages in God. Now, when we say mystery, this is not your Hallmark mystery thing, right? You guys watch Hallmark mysteries? (laughs) You're all embarrassed to say you do. I only watch it because Ann makes me watch it. That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) It's not something like that that you can figure out, you know, if you get enough of these silly clues, right? That's not it. It's something that we're unable, this kind of mystery, we're unable to understand by human wisdom. This is where we spiritually bridge the gap from human wisdom to God's wisdom. It only becomes ours as a result of God's revelation. You've received it as well. And now that mystery is explained to us in Scripture. We get it. We have it. Praise the Lord. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. What body? The body of Christ, amen. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God so loved the world. All the people of the world. 
that he sent his son here for everyone that they might be saved, that we might be saved, that his grace is for all people, Jews, Gentiles, races, ethnicities, rich, poor, the wonderful grace of God. I would say the colossal grace of God through Jesus Christ. But did you notice this really important, really important for us in this time and this place, how God bestows his grace, how his grace happens? It happens in verse 6 through the gospel, through the gospel. You need to hear the word of God. You need to hear it. You need to hear it over and over every day. You need to hear the word of God. You need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did, what happened to him, the meaning of his atoning sacrifice. You need to know that. That needs to be just like automatic for you. And then secondly, the second aspect of Paul's revelation is that as a result of God's grace just showering down on all of his children, something happens. Something happens. These children of faith become members together of the same body, the same body of Christ, as we said. It's as though we have become a kind of a new, a kind of a new genus of people, a new kind of spiritual species. <laughs> I like that. We're a new spiritual species. It has nothing to do with where we come from whatever our skin color is or whatever accent we may have or whatever language we speak or whatever neighborhood we come from or whatever national boundary we have. It's by our adoption. We are now members of the kingdom of God. There's a new unity amongst all of us that's never happened before. I love unity. I love this kind of unity most of all because it's an enduring unity. Verse 7, of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister. So God has given him a ministry. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God has given him a ministry. Even though he says that he's the least of all the saints, he's the least of all the saints. You know, if Paul was the least of all the saints, where are we? Do you say, being completely truthful with yourself, do you say this? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain? He says, I was the least of all the saints. I don't think that he's being falsely humble here. 
oh gosh, I was just the least of all the saints. No, he's crying when he's saying that. I was the least, the most despicable of all the saints. He's a man who's come to realize just how great a sinner he really is. Has that happened to you? That as we grow in grace, as we grow and advance and walk with Christ more and more closely, something happens to us, a realization happens to us, and we realize that we are far greater sinners than we ever thought that we were, especially on the day or whatever time period when we accepted Jesus. Okay, I'll be truthful. When I accepted Jesus, it was because I was in big trouble, and I really needed Jesus. I really wasn't thinking about what a great sinner I was. But now I do. 30 years later, now I do. Now I realize I'm worse than Paul. I'm worse. And I realize how much I need to be forgiven. I realize how much I need a Savior. Oh, I need a Savior. I can't believe, Lord, that you have forgiven me of that. You got one of those? Lord, you've forgiven me of that. Jesus, you went to the cross for that? He goes on in verse 9. To bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? God has a great plan, brothers and sisters. And Paul is saying that you and I are now a part of that plan. You are a part of what God is doing right now. He says that God has given me the task the ministry to explain his plan and his gospel to you. And then he says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's your homework assignment. Just take that one home and Ponder that and meditate on that. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. God has a plan, and that plan centers in his people. And at the heart of God's unfolding plan is the church. This church 
Every Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-proclaiming church is a part of God's plan. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. And that the church, that the manifold wisdom of God comes through the church only when we teach the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Don't leave anything out. Do you know what the term manifold means? Do you know that term, manifold? It's not talking about something in your car. (laughs) It means basically multifaceted. Think of the facets of a diamond with the colors and the angles and the surfaces and the depth and the light. God is is, is a being who is multifaceted. He is a being of infinite, glorious, complex, beautiful wisdom. And his intention, his plan, his purpose is to use the church to unveil his manifold wisdom. He used the church. God said, I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why he's building his church. He's given us, us, all of us, this glorious responsibility to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God. It's all about Jesus, brothers and sisters. The church needs to preach Jesus and him crucified that he rose on the third day and that now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And that through Christ, we are forgiven and we are saved. From all eternity, God has planned to gather together a redeemed people for his very own. That's us. It's why you're here this morning. It's why you're watching online this morning. This is God's plan. And note this, that this unveiling goes beyond humans. Did you see that? God's revealing his manifold wisdom to angelic beings. The the, uh, New King James says, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So we, the church, are living examples. We're living examples to the manifold wisdom of God, both to the world, this world, this world filled with human beings, and also to angelic beings, both good Bad, faithful, fallen angelic beings, all of them were an example. Some of them are, some of these angelic beings are thrilled and amazed that people like us who have actually never seen Jesus worship him. That we come to a place like this and we say, I have come to worship and to bow down. They're amazed at that. We're the living examples of the manifold wisdom of God. What do these angels see, though, when they look at us? <laughs> this is convicting to me, too. Oh, no. <laughs> They're not looking at me. <laughs> what do they see? Oh, I'd like to say, you know, oh, they see this really completely righteous person, you know. 
Someone who always does the will of God. Someone who never sins, always virtuous, always loves unconditionally. Guess what? That might be you. That's not what they see when they look at me. Uh -uh. They see somebody who's very weak. They see someone who's completely powerless. Someone who's basically a little tiny speck on this planet of 7.7 billion specks. And yet, somehow, this passage tells us that in the eyes of God, we're not a speck. That we're not meaningless to God at all. And in fact, this passage tells us that God wants to use us here and in the heavenly realms. Even in our weakness. That God has redeemed the weak. That's the part that blows away the angels, I'm convinced. That he's redeemed the weak. That that redemption is his manifold wisdom. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and following, but he, God, said to me, this is Paul speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. And underline this one if you've got this in your Bible. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Praise Him. And the more we rely on God in our weakness, brothers and sisters, the more his manifold wisdom is demonstrated to the, angel, to the angels and the heavenly beings and the heavenly realms. So through the church, angelic beings are learning. They're learning about God's manifold wisdom. It's fascinating. It's fascinating that God doesn't use angels. We're a little lower than the angels, right? But he's not using them to reveal his wisdom to us, but he uses us to reveal his wisdom to the angels. That seems backwards. As we read in Isaiah 55, God says what? My ways are not your ways, you dummies. <laughs> okay, I added that part in. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> He uses us to reveal his wisdom to them. It's amazing to me that before he created the world, he planned this, and that right now we are all living in the midst of this work of God. So in this church, as we preach and teach the gospel of Jesus, we are shedding light to the world. We are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. We're shedding light to the world so that all beings, all earthly humans and angelic beings, if you will, that might understand 
that God's, what God's future purposes are for the world. Future purposes. Because in this way, we as the church are actually kind of an embryonic form of what God's going to do when Jesus returns. That we're an emerging image of how God is working in this world and how he will work in the future. That God uses sinners. Imagine these angels looking at this. He's using sinners like us. Those of us who are saved by the grace of God. We're just like a spiritual spectacle in the heavens. So you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you're greeted by our hospitality team. Do we have the most amazing hospitality team in the world? Absolutely. I mean, you walk in here and maybe... You're carrying some burden with you. This ongoing burden, this heaviness. You're trying to shake it. <laughs> and you walk in here, and it's just weighing you down. And then you walk in, and you see immediately this brotherly, sisterly love happening here. It does, it happens here. I hope you don't take it for granted. This is an amazing work of God, that there's a joy in the hearts of God's people here. People tell me that all the time. Here's the thing. Those people that have so much joy in their hearts and this hospitality team, they're carrying burdens as well. But there's this glimpse of God's grace working in the hearts of God's people, right in front of you. And he's showing us something by that. He's showing us something amazing. It's the beginning. It's a sketch. It's a foretaste of what's going to happen ultimately when Jesus returns. You get a little taste of that. So that when people come in here, and they say to a companion, maybe they've never been here before, or they say to themselves if they're by themselves, this feels different. What's going on? What's going on here? Is this real? I, I'm not sure I expected this. This is a strange group of people, <laughs> but a good strange. Don't think these people, I just wonder about these people. Don't these people know? Don't these people know that the world is full of darkness? Don't these people know that the world is full of violence? that this world is full of every kind of awful? Yes, they know. And because they know Jesus, it's, it creates all the more joy in them. They see the darkness, and they experience Jesus in their hearts. That's the meaning of being in Christ. 
Yeah, we know that. We know that. But we also know God. And God has placed us here to worship him, to be in communion with him and with each other. And we get so much joy knowing that God is pleased with that. And that changes everything. That changes everything in my outlook on this very moment. It changes everything in my life. When I walk out of here, I'm changed. Because now, I am in Christ. And when that happened to me, when Jesus came into my life and I accepted him and I opened my arms to him, I opened my heart to him, I became united. I became united with this strangely beautiful people of God. Luke 15, 10, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You may look at us, if you've never been here before, as strange, but God sees us as beautiful. We're united in the wonder of the love of Jesus Christ. So for us here in this church, Gold River Calvary Chapel, we're committed to give to the world in every way that we possibly can, what it looks like, what it means to be a child of God in Christ, that we're filled with a joy that's impossible for the world to understand on its own. In fact, it's a joy that comes from knowing that we're part of God's master plan for the ages. It's all about the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God. And Paul says in verse 8 again that this wisdom was revealed to him in the unsearchable riches of Christ, in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, that the wisdom of God was in sending his son. He didn't spare him. He freely delivered him up. For all of us, God sent his son into this sinful world, this world that hates God. And he sends him all the way to Bethlehem. Paul says in another place that he was made to be sin for us. The story of the coming of Jesus, which we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks as we get into the Christmas season, the story of the coming of Jesus, this revelation of the mystery of Christ, this person, who he is, his identity, his preaching, his teaching, his giving of himself on behalf of sinners of a, as a substitute and as a sin bearer, all of that so that we may have a way of forgiveness and that that way of forgiveness was through the wrath of God coming down and descending on his own son so that in order for us to be rescued, in order for our sins to be forgiven, in order for us to be reconciled to God, in order for us to be brought into his household and his family, Jesus would bear our sin. He would bear the consequences of our sin, which is death. 
and the unmitigated wrath of a holy God would come and descend on his own son, and Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is God's manifold wisdom. His ways are not our ways. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's saying, if you want to find wisdom, look to Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. The unimaginable, unfathomable, inexpressible, unsearchable, manifold wisdom of God that God knew how to rescue us, how to rescue you and me. Only he knew how to accomplish this. Only he knew how to, that he could even fathom it. And then finally, verse 13, Paul gives us this very personal appeal as he speaks to the, to the Ephesians in verse 13. He says, he says, I ask you not to lose heart. Remember, he's in prison. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, don't lose heart. What kind of love is that? It's to them. I don't want you to lose heart. What's happening to me is for your glory. Maybe he thought that they were prone to losing heart. I don't know. Maybe... Not so much because they were sorry for Paul, maybe. Or maybe they were worried that maybe because if Paul is going to suffer, well, maybe I have to suffer. Well, wait a second. I don't know. That was part of the deal. But Paul is saying to these Ephesians and to us, don't lose heart over suffering. This, too, is the manifold wisdom of God. The suffering. It's the manifold wisdom of God. It's not a worldly wisdom, is it? This is a wisdom that is revealed from God. That this bloody cross is the way to victory. It's the manifold wisdom of God. What the world means for evil, God will use for good. Remember the story of Joseph? That's the manifold wisdom of God. That God rules over evil. Why? Because of his sovereign care for us. It's the manifold wisdom of God. Paul says in Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is what Paul is thinking. Don't lose heart because of suffering. God rules over everything, even, though the even through the difficulties, even through the trials. Good will emerge. We've all been there, haven't we? Maybe we're there now. We've living through or have lived through incredible difficulty, unimaginable trials and trouble. God works in us through it. He gives us his wisdom in these times. There's really hard times out there, and I know many of you, maybe all of you are suffering in this way. Some way, some thing that's a, just a weight. He says, don't lose heart. He gives us, God will give you wisdom in times like this. 
And Paul's saying here, I know you're suffering. I know, I know you know I'm suffering, but don't lose heart. That doesn't negate the joy of Jesus in your heart. God's manifold wisdom is always working. James says this most directly, doesn't he? In, in James 1, he says, count it all joy. That's what we were talking about earlier. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We all need that. Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God works in a mysterious way, doesn't he? He, per he perfects us. He perfects us in testing and in suffering. His manifold wisdom, his works, he just works and works and works in us by his spirit. Paul says here, I ask you not to lose heart. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe there's a tendency to feel sorry for yourself. Or to be angry with God. Paul's saying, and the Spirit is saying, don't lose heart. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you, and he hasn't forsaken you. God is working out his plan in his manifold wisdom. Jesus is building his church. He's continuing to gather his family together one person at a time, one people, that we would become one people, one in Christ. And you'll even see it in the difficult things in your life. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. Let me just tell you, don't lose heart. Don't let Satan tell you you have no hope. You do. You have your hope in Jesus. Believe and trust that God is in absolute and total control. What a mystery. What a mystery that it can possibly be true that from all eternity that God wrote your name in his book. That you and I are a part of his great plan and his purpose. That he had you in mind from all eternity. That he has you in mind right here at Gold River Calvary Chapel. That he brought you here to hear the truth, to hear the manifold wisdom of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord. How awesome. How amazing. How wonderful you are. That as we look out into the world, we see darkness and every kind of evil. And yet, you have taken us under your wing. And you have saved us. You have given us your grace and faith in you. 
and you have shown us who you are. That even, Lord, in the midst of trials, we have a joy that is so amazing that it lights up the world, Lord, that your spirit in us gives us this great joy, that your spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God and that we can cry out to Abba Father and thank him and bless him and love him and go to him in times of need and knowing that his promises are yes and amen and that we can come here and worship you, Lord. We praise you for that and we thank you for your mighty word that you've given us today. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.
Bow your hearts with me, please. Lord, you never will fail us, and we know that. And we thank you. Lord, we thank you for revealing the mystery to us. We thank you for Jesus and letting us know in our weakness, he makes us strong because he's strong. He is our strength. Father, thank you for this morning, for just ministering to each of our hearts for letting us know the truth once again. Father, we stand on your word. We trust you. And as each person leaves this building today, let them know that they are being cared for by the living God, that you love each of us in a manner that we can never love ourselves. So we thank you, my God. We thank you, yes, for the angels that look and wonder why and know that it is because of the love that you have for us. So thank you. We thank you now in the glorious name of Jesus. Yes, to God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank yes you all. Yes and amen. Have an awesome yes Sunday, amen. Yeah.